Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Office supplies at huge savings? Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Welcome back, everybody. Bob Stoffer with you along with Brendan Escott. It's 1233 in Edmonton. And uh, again, thanks to Tyler Wright, the Director of Amateur Scouting as uh, Truculent Thursday uh, gets into full roll here as we go to our Oilers now headliner for touchback safety. Touchback remains open for training and is taking all necessary precautions to ensure the safety of their staff and clients. We welcome back uh, to a guy who was selected in the second round of the NHL draft and then had a son that went in the top 15 of the NHL draft. We welcome back to the show a very popular guest here on Oilers now, Louis DeBrusque. Hi, Louis. How you doing? It was actually a third-round pick, Bob. You were a third? Back then, 49 was in the third round. Really? (laughs) I stand corrected. Yeah, yeah. You know, that was back actually in your first year of eligibility. You had to go in the first three rounds. You couldn't be drafted. I don't know if you remember that. I'm sure you do. But that was um, a little bit testy when it got to the third round. I was sitting in the stands in Minnesota not knowing if I was going to be chosen. But the New York Rangers picked me, and I was pretty happy about that. Uh, what was more stressful, you going through that experience uh, as a player or as a father with Jake in uh, 2015 when we were down in Florida? Not even close. Ten times more nerve-wracking as a father. You know, as a player, to be honest, I kind of didn't even really know if I was going to be drafted or not because of that, being have to, having to be drafted in the first three rounds. So I went there with a pretty open mind. Um you know, just kind of enjoyed the whole whole situation. That was back when the draft was all done in one day as well, first all the way through the rounds. And, I mean, that'd be a long day sitting there if you don't get drafted in the first three rounds. But it worked out okay. But as far as with my son, you know, you just are just so much more invested in that with the development coming up through the ranks, um, all the talk. And, yeah, you know, it's way more nerve-wracking as a parent sitting there hoping that your child gets picked. But uh, obviously that day was a special day too. You think about it, Louie, during the lockout year in 12-13, Jake was playing midget AAA that year. Uh, did you think at that stage that he'd be a first-round draft choice in the NHL uh, three years later, less than three no. years later? Nope. No, not at all. Uh, it wasn't, wasn't even really for me on the radar as far as that goes. Um, it was just play to the next level and do the best you can at that level, and if you want to continue playing, then continue playing. And for him... Um, he, uh, yeah, he really took a huge stride. He took a huge stride his first year junior and then even a bigger stride in his draft year. So you never really know. You know, he was a late developer, a late bloomer. He gained some size later on, and that really helped him. And you know what? Uh, but I did not see that three years before that, not a chance. I wish I had that vision with players because I'd probably be doing a different job. But, uh, no, I, I not couldn't necess- predict. Uh, not necessarily, Louie. Not necessarily. Not well. Not necessarily. I mean, there's guys that might be able to see stuff like that. They don't always get those opportunities, Louis. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, listen. There's people that just have a great eye. There's organizations that have a great eye. Yeah, you look at the history and track records of general managers, scouting staffs throughout the league, and certain individuals that move from team to team. 
they do have a great eye. They work very hard at it. You know, it takes a lot of time and commitment to be in those buildings, watch players on a nightly basis, get multiple viewings, different situations. And I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. It's incredible the amount of time that's spent to, to scout and go over certain players to, to make the picks that eventually happen, like we saw yesterday and the day before. It's just, it's, it's incredible how much time goes into that to try and make sure you're getting the right pick. And as we've seen, sometimes you still don't pick the right pick. It's just, it's the nature of the beast. It's very difficult when you're dealing with 17, 18-year-olds that you don't know what that next step is going to be for them as far as development. But I, I take my hat off to the guys that get it right more often than not because they're putting their work in and they're doing the right things. All right, Louie. So I'm going to get into a specific uh, type of player where market inefficiency has been in place for a number of years, which I now believe has kind of been rectified. My theory is that there were too many guys out there that emphasized size. And what happens is, as a rule of thumb, bigger players, because they can kind of bowl their way around the ice, they don't always have to think their way through situations. And smaller players, who know they have to be competitive, often at times have to create different mechanisms and attack the game differently to be successful. So smaller guys uh, for a number of years, and we saw, we saw this with Gallagher in 2010. We saw this with Braden Point. I'm going to take you back. Joffrey Lupo was a small kid, okay, and then grew kind of like Jake um, at 16, 17-ish, but he had to think his way when he was a competitive kid growing up, and then he got bigger. And Jake, same situation. You talked about the physical maturation. And I think what we're seeing now, Louie, is when we see guys like uh, Seth Jarvis go 13th to the uh, Carolina Hurricanes, uh, the other kid that I'll bring up out of the Brandon Wakings was Ridley Gregg, a late first-round draft choice. Uh, when we see kids like that, I, I those kids... Seven, eight years ago, those kids were going in the third round. You know what I'm saying? Like smaller guys. Really, Greg's like 160 pounds. And and I, I think we've seen them. I've seen. I think we've seen an awareness that the game. First of all, the the game's opened up. Number one, and number two, organizations have gotten smarter, and there's more room for smaller players that can process and think than ever before. Do you agree or disagree with that sentiment? wholeheartedly agree. I played with a ton of great players coming up to the ranks myself back when the game was a little different back then and there was so much emphasis on size that there were some smaller statured players that were tremendous, excellent hockey players that really didn't get the look that they probably should get, in my opinion. And I, I remember having that conversation a lot of times with my dad just saying, you know, there's, why, why hasn't so-and-so got drafted? Did this guy get drafted? I mean, and, he, and pretty much it just boiled down to it's a big rough and tumble game, and they feel they just won't be able to survive on that ice. That's truly what it was about. I mean, that was a clutching, grabbing, a little dirtier game, lots more stick work. Uh, for a little guy to make it back then, I mean, you had to be exceptional in something. You had to be exceptional skater, puck handler, shooter. You had to have a tenacity and a compete off the chart. I still do believe that, though, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm not gonna, I'm not taking any away from the, the smaller stature players because I think there's way more opportunity now if you have the skill, the mindset, and more importantly, that drive and compete. You know, talking to scouts at the drafts previously when I've done drafts, that was the number one word that came up when I talked to them what they were looking for in a player. They were looking for the right mindset, the right drive, and compete. They wanted players that just would not 
take no for an answer. Um, and that, that is now starting to happen. If you have that elite skill level and that drive and compete as a smaller stature player, if you're better than the bigger guy, you're going to get picked. It's just the way it is. Now, you still have to overcome those odds. It still is there. There still is that stigma. I don't care what anybody says. If there's a, if there's a smaller player and a bigger player that both have the same attributes and the same drive and same compete, they're going to take the bigger guy. They just are. That's just what it is. Because when you look at who won the Stanley Cup, this year, the Tampa Bay Lightning, um, they're a bigger team. They were bigger. They were more tenacious. Their back end was huge. And they could protect and insulate skilled smaller players that were in their lineup. And those smaller players they have, you mentioned Braden Point, an elite player. An elite player at any size. And he's got to compete off the charts. You know, he could have very easily won the con Smythe, in my opinion. He was right there with Victor Hedman. That's saying a lot because Victor Hedman did a lot in the playoffs. But... Yeah, you know what? It's I like it. I, I like where the game's going. I like the fact that they're not just looking at people for their size. They're looking at other things to try and make sure they're picking the right players. But if you can play, if you can skate, you can make plays in tight and quickly, you can protect yourself, there's no question there's way more opportunity now than there ever has been for a smaller player. And for any parent listening to the show right now that has a, uh, a son in the case of uh, men's hockey or a daughter in the case of women's hockey, it's it's a truism for today. And all you need to do is look, even in women's hockey, the U.S. national program that beat Canada in the gold medal uh, in 2018, they were faster. They had quicker, smaller, yeah. faster players. And as that game wore on, if not for Shannon Zabados, Canada would have been blown. They, they would have lost by two or three goals. But they just kept on pushing the pace because they could do that. And that's the way the game has moved. So we're going to translate that into a guy that is all of those things that you're looking for. A six foot four horse down the rights, a top four overall pick. I love the fact that the Oilers got him on a two-year deal. I got to be honest, Louie, I didn't see Yessa Pogliarvi signing a two-year deal. I thought he was going to do like a one-year thing. They got him on a two-year deal, and I don't know about you, but for the biggest, for me, the biggest thing for Pogliarvi, he's got to be able to improve processing the game at the NHL level. Give me your thoughts. Yeah, I'm on the same page as you. We've talked about Yessi a lot over the last few years, and here's the thing. Um, he's a very young player. He's just turned 22 years old in May. So, I mean, that's something you have to really take into consideration here is he's had a little taste. He's had a little test. Uh, obviously, things didn't go great for him, and he felt he needed to go back to his home country, and he lit it up over there. You have to give him a lot of credit for that. He went back, and he led his team in scoring. He was up in the top five in, in points in, in the league, in the Finnish Elite League. That's great. That's tremendous. Go develop your game and work on it. Now try and bring that over to North America and, and have that translate. And being a little bit older, you know, obviously he's had some hip troubles that he had to have surgery on and correct. It seems like he's really overcome that and come back strongly. He's a huge frame, and you know that. When you see him up close, he, he's a big, lanky guy that can, you know, do things. And with that size, as far as protecting the puck down low, uh, being aggressive on the forecheck, the reach that he has, the anticipation. But I do agree with you in the one sense that he has to play quicker. And that's going to be the one area that he's going to have to work on. Do I believe it's in his capability? Absolutely. I think it's a great deal that Edmonton's got him on to bring him in and give him an opportunity to try and 
um, use those skills. And if it doesn't work out, I think you could easily trade him with that deal as well. So it's a win-win situation for Ken Holland. I think he deserves a chance, though. Players don't always get it on their first try. Sometimes they come back and they're a completely different player. It happens all the time. He was pretty young coming over here, and he was kind of thrown into the mix and did do some great things on certain nights, but more often than not just couldn't keep that going on a consistent level. But we'll see what happens with his next journey over to North America. From NHL Hockey and Rogers, Louis DeBrusque, former Edmonton Oilers player. He is an uh, analyst on the Oilers television broadcast, as well as a guy that obviously worked the entire Western Conference package for Sportsnet during the course of the NHL playoffs in the Edmonton bubble. All right, Louis, free agency starts tomorrow. Uh, it is my belief the Oilers have prioritized goaltending. Uh, Ken Holland has said goaltending and third-line center. Obviously, the Oscar Kleppbaum situation flips the narrative a bit there. Uh, I'm going to put you. I'm going to get you to put your GM's hat on here, and I don't know how you make it work if you if you the owners because you have Miko Koskinen two years at four point five million. In your opinion, theoretically, if Vancouver could, if they don't get uh, Jacob Markstrom signed, and they can still get him signed, let's establish that right now. But if they don't get Markstrom signed, is Markstrom, in your opinion, a substantive upgrade on Miko Koskinen? Well, I would say yes because of one reason, because of the games that he's played. Uh, until this year where he had some injuries, obviously had to leave due to the death of his father for some time. Um, he didn't, but the two previous years he played 60 games. Uh, I mean, that's a lot to play in each of those respective years. So that's just repetitions. So because of those repetitions, it's taken him some time to develop into that top goaltender, and that's something you have to be careful about too. Is sometimes it takes a little longer with goaltenders, but... Because of that time and those games played, he's just matured into a real steady guy. And we saw him carry that over on a real heavy workload in the playoffs against very good teams. So, yes, there's no question there's a guy that I think would be an upgrade in goaltending for a lot of teams. And I'm sure he's going to be on a lot of guys' list because he's, number one, a great human being off the ice. He works very hard off the ice to make sure he's in great shape to begin the seasons. And you know what? He works very hard on the ice. This is a guy that puts his best foot forward, wants to get better each and every day. I got to cover him a lot in Vancouver, and I really think that he's developing into um, what you want from a guy with his size as a starting goaltender. And he is. 918 save percentage last year, but he played played more than Koskinen. Koskinen was at 917. I, I would say Markstrom's basically proven he could be a 50 to 55 game a year starter and then start for you in the playoffs. Are we there yet with Koskinen, do you think, or is, is that still up for debate? Well, you know how I feel about it. I think it's time to just give him the reins, in my opinion. I think it's time to just give him the reins and really see what he can do. Um, but I have no trouble with if they want to try and upgrade to do that. Um, but in my opinion, yeah, I just think that it's repetitions with Miko. I think Miko has all those attributes as well. I really do. I, I look at him and I just think he, he's one of those guys that has a drive to be better. And you have to have that. You can't be complacent. He works on his game all the time. Are there some deficiencies? Absolutely. But that's, you can say that for every single goaltender in the league. They have flaws. They have weaknesses. It's how hard are you working on those weaknesses, trying to overcome them, make them your strengths, and battle through. I think he has that mentality. Talking with Dustin Schwartz, he's a, he's a goaltender that is always prepared. Um, Dustin told me a story. He went over to Finland to train with him. And, and Miko had everything down to absolute minute, ready and available, ready to go. This guy is a professional. He wants to get better. And I, I just think, you know what, maybe with handing the reins over to him, saying, listen, there's nobody here to bail you out right now. This is kind of your, your game now. Let's see what you can do. Maybe with that added little bit of pressure, he steps up and he becomes 
um, and even better goaltender. His numbers weren't bad at all, you know, and I think that's something really important to look at. He wasn't that far off from Markstrom's numbers. So we look at this in a different light here in Edmonton, but uh, again, I think it's time, it's repetitions, and he hasn't had a whole ton of that. He, he's still relatively new to the NHL game. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Uh, I know some people say, nope, Markstrom's just significantly better than Koskinen. My guess is a lot of the analytics-driven types that would listen to the show right now would say, actually, I, I'm not necessarily convinced of that. Now, I do know there's some secondary analytics numbers that suggest that Markstrom was about as good as there was on first-shot opportunities, so we need to keep that in mind as well. Uh, Third-line center versus a defenseman potentially to replace Oscar Clefbaum. Where would you go if you were uh, Ken Holland? Well, I think they're two needs. They're two needs of the team, no question about it. And, and if you can fill both of those needs, um, not necessarily with your number one pick, maybe with your number two or three pick, guys that can step in and fill that need, then obviously you have to try and try and make those deals, sign those players to fill those holes. Um, yeah, good question. I, I would I would probably lean if Oscar Kluckbaum's going to be out for the year, I think you have to seriously consider filling that void. You have to back that up a little bit. Um, but a third-line centerman, to me, is vital. I mean, I think a third-line center is, is one of those positions that we often overlook. It's a matchup situation. It allows the other two lines to go up against whoever you want to go up against. And that's very, very crucial to be able to have a third line that can weather that storm, can check, um, you feel comfortable putting out in all situations. I mean, Dylan Holloway, who they drafted 14th overall, I think he kind of fits that mold right now when you look at the center position of the Edmonton Oilers. They go draft a centerman that can potentially play wing as well. But again, a big, strong centerman that can play that robust game. I like the fact that he compared himself to Landeskog and Taves. I mean, those are two players that he watches, the way they play the puck, the way they protect the puck. Um, I like hearing that from young players. I like to see where their mentality is at as far as what players they emulate, who they'd like to be like. And um, for me, those are two pretty good guys to watch on how you want to play the game. Uh, Taylor Hall, where does he end up? Boy, good question. I think he's really going to think long and hard on this one. Obviously, we heard that he's not going to be back with Arizona, which we kind of expected. Um, I, you know, I think Taylor's in a position now that number one, he wants to win. So I, I think he's, I think he would be willing. I really do think he'd be willing to take less on a very good team to see if he can't win a Stanley Cup. But uh, I think you would probably like the best of both worlds in a situation where he can sign a long-term deal on a team that he still feels can win the Stanley Cup in time. It'll be really interesting, but this is what he's worked for. He's an unrestricted free agent. This is a chance for him to sniff around, look around, and try and get signed somewhere. But someone's going to get an elite player for sure. We've seen what Taylor Hall can do. And um, I don't think there's any rush for him to try and get this done. I think he's going to think long and hard about this one. Well, I wonder whether or not there might be a team or two, maybe even a team or two in Canada that maybe looks at offloading a little bit of money. Like, would the Leafs look at moving Nylander out to sign all? Because uh, if you're Taylor, you want to win, you want to go to a place that's got good centers. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but uh, I think he'd want to merit consideration for the Olympic team as well. And there might be a higher probability of doing that if you play in Canada. Now, Calgary and Montreal have cap space. So they, they can do something like that. Final one for you, Louis. Uh, yeah, I the, think the, just the, one thing on Taylor Hall. The thing for me, and those teams, I could see why they would certainly, why Taylor Hall would appeal to them because he's a north-south guy. 
You know, when you watch Taylor Hall play, yeah. that's 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 the one thing that stands out all the time. He's got a motor that never quits. I mean, this guy can absolutely go, and he doesn't really seem to ever get tired, but his speed north and south is incredible. You're playing with some players who like to go east-west, that could be a great combination. You know, someone that likes to buy some time, he pumps into that spot, and he's able to be there at the right time. Yeah, I mean, listen, he's gonna, I'm sure he's going to feel it every, every single team, and he's going to feel it every single potential team that wants to have him and make the right decision for him and his family. All right, Louis, great stuff as always. We appreciate your time, man. All right, take care, Bob. 12.53 in Edmonton. Uh, I'm going to tell you that Roos Chris Steakhouse is the greatest steak you've ever had. It's Edmonton owned and operated. Open from Wednesday through Sunday, 5 p.m. until close. Head down to 9990 Jasper Avenue. Tell Brendan, Maggie, Taylor, and the staff at Roos Chris that Oilers now sent you. Louis DeBrusque was our Oilers now headliner for touchback safety. We're going to come back with NHL today for elite promotional marketing. And I'm going to read you a text on the Ashley Fine Floors text line from KDK. This is Oilers Now. This is Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Thanks for listening, everybody. It's 1254 in Edmonton. Royal Pizza, Pizza Pasta, and so much more. Edmonton owned and operated for over 50 years. Royal Pizza offers curbside pickup and a takeout option as well. For a menu and a list of their 13 Edmonton and area locations, go online at royalpizza.ca or download the Royal Pizza app for the App Store. Epstein's mother texts the show on the Ashley Five Floors text line and say, Bob, no comments last night on the U.S. Vice President's debate? Uh, I'm just going to fly from that one. Uh, and KDK has texted us on the Ashley Fine Floors text line. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again without success. If the Oilers don't specifically address their needs at defense, they will be a lottery team next season. A goaltender or third-line center will not turn the Oilers into a true contender. The Oilers can expect to have, uh, can't expect to have, uh, cannot expect to have a historically good power play in the league's top two scores every year. The defense needs to drastically improve, regardless of cleft bomb, for the team to experience success. That comes to us from KDK. Uh, KDK, there was a person that traveled with the team for uh, well more than a decade that was always concerned about the caliber of the defense. He knew hockey. He knew his stuff. So you're not the first guy to suggest that. The question is can that occur organically? You know, uh, Bear Jones coming in last year, and now you have, you know, the options of Broberg and Bouchard, uh, and perhaps in a couple of years, Samarukov. But it's a fair question to ask on your part. To NHL today for elite promotional marketing. Elite Promotional Marketing have face masks for everybody. They, too, are an Edmonton-owned and operated company. Visit their online face mask shop by going to ElitePromoMarketing.com with the whole rundown of what's happening and shaking in the NHL world. Here's Brendan Escott. Columbus signed newly acquired Max Domi to a two-year contract extension worth $5.3 million per season. They also placed Alex Wenberg on waivers for the purpose of a buyout of the remaining three 
seasons on his contract. New Jersey did the same with goaltender Corey Schneider today. Add him to the market. Uh, Anthony Duclair, not qualified by Ottawa, so he will hit the open market tomorrow along with former teammate Corey Crawford, who Chicago is not bringing back. But Chandler Stevenson did re-up with the Golden Knights. Four years, $2.75 million per season there. And you hinted at it earlier, said it, Bob. Uh, Leah Anderson is a Los Angeles king now after a trade that uh, sent the 60th overall pick yesterday to the Rangers in exchange for the former number seven overall pick. Uh, KDK wants to jump back into the fray. He says uh, rookies can't be relied upon. Again, ex- uh, insanity to expect it to work when it hasn't for 15 years. Uh, uh, Brad says, Bob, you've lamented in the past that Leon Dreisaitl wanted the orders to sign Dominic Cahoon. Now he's available on the cheap again. Do you expect them to give him a shot as a depth left winger that could move up and down the lineup from Brad? I think there's going to be lots of teams in on Cahoon. This is a buyer's market for the GMs. I think Cahoon's a pretty good player. And the story was that Dominic Cahoon was a player that Leon Dreisaitl had advocated for moving forward. And uh, on the day in which Cahoon ended up signing, uh, Edmonton signed uh, Larkin, uh, Colin Larkin. Uh, (laughs) Bob, would you consider Kyle Turris as our third-line center in a cheap deal considering he got bought out? I think you'd have to consider Kyle Turris. Uh, now, he is American. Uh, he does have a personal connection to Wayne Gretzky, which uh, would help. And again, I think Edmonton's sales uh, messages, put it this way, I think the order is personal perception. You have two Hart win- uh, Trophy winners as centers in Edmonton. You have a brand-new building. Uh, Brian Burke is a guy, and he's coming up next. He thinks that there's more appetite for players to, to, to play in Canada than ever before. Could they get tourists? Maybe. Would I have time for tourists? Yes, I would, to be frank with you. Off to a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell. And when we come back for the Canadian Power Pack, Brian Burke. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.